Hey there, we're the Westlaw Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Scuzz, New York, New York, Scousebell. Yep. <sighs> yeah, so going into this weekend, um, there was a lot of excitement and a lot of, a lot of talk uh, team coming off a 1-11 season last year, new coach, never coached uh, down in in Division One FBS. I know transfer quarterback. <laughs> um, on the road, it was a hot, hot day. And if you think I'm talking about, if you think I'm comparing Shadur Sanders with Ben Bryant, you got another thing coming. Yeah. Um, wow. Night and day. How about them buffaloes, huh? Sammy, I'm glad as as someone who grew up in Boulder, I'm glad that you you were able to enjoy your buffaloes uh, over the weekend. It gave you something because there weren't all, there weren't much else meat on the bone for uh, not when it comes to Northwestern Nation, boy. Yeah. Um, I mean, so 24 to seven, Northwestern goes to Rutgers, lays basically lays an egg, uh, scores with what. 19 seconds left in the game uh, to keep a shutout off the board. But, um, I mean, this game was over midway through the second quarter when Rutgers was up 14 nothing, and we'd, had, we'd possessed the ball for a minute and 30 seconds. And from then, it was just like there was no sense that we were going to be able to do anything to come back. You know, you know, once we're down two scores, like, what are, what are we doing? Like, if we were able to cut it to one, maybe there's something. But, like, and, and we're going to go into this. I mean, the offense was not just bad, worse. Yeah. I mean, like, we're going we're gonna to dive into these numbers. And this is, like, if you thought it was bad, you're overstating things. Yeah. It's... It was really, really rough, and, and I think obviously we're going to have, as you all are at home and have been having, there's the discussion about this game, and then there's the larger narrative of what this all means as we spin forward to this season and beyond. And I think looking at this game, what's interesting is Scuzz didn't watch this game in the moment, and Sam and I did. So there was a point where we were explaining it to Scuzz, and you know, and Scuzz is trying to kind of to connect what he's seeing in the stats with what was on the tape, right? And I think what we mean behind that is like you looking from Rutgers's. If you look at Rutgers on their side of the ball, <clears throat> their stats are not good offensively, and their you look at that and then you kind of square that with the fact that okay, so. That looks really good. And, and on one hand, it's like, well, part of the reason that looks really good is because our defensive guys played their asses off and gave 120% effort, like all the credit in the world to those guys. But the difference between the stats and the tape is it was known coming in that Rutgers is a really bad offensive football team, one of the worst in the country right there with us from last season. And they looked bad in this game. And yet... This game was never close. And that is the thing. It is this takeaway that Rutgers does not look like a good football team. 
And yet there was a clear separation between the two teams in this game. Yeah, just to double down on, on what you were just saying, John. I mean, so Rutgers gained 285 yards in this game. They averaged 2.8 on the ground. Uh, Kyle Monagai, 3.5. Jean Benjamin, 2.3. Um, Wimsett, 3.7. They got, they got, you know, two TDs on the ground, but like they didn't, they didn't chew Northwestern up on the ground at least. Um, I mean, it was very, you know, three card, three yards in a cloud of dust. That's why they had two 16 play touchdown drives to open the game. Um, we couldn't, you know, stop them enough or when there were, you know, a couple opportunities to do so, we just, we weren't able to do it. Wimsett, you know, he was a little better than 50%. I'm telling you, his stats were better than, than his deadline last year <laughs> at Rutgers, but you know, a 5.6 average uh, yards per attempt, um, no picks, like their, their numbers look really bad. Just putting that in context, the 285 yards that they got last year, Northwestern gave up uh, only 278 to Miami of Ohio. That was our best defensive performance of the, of the year. And then only 283 to Ohio State in that monsoon. So 285 to a Rutgers team on a sunny, sunny day on the road, like, seems pretty darn good. But, yeah, it was very – I mean, I was following this game from afar and um, at least, you know, uh, online, and it was very clear that – it was pretty clear by halftime, if not, you know, shortly thereafter, that – Northwestern just didn't have a prayer uh, of of contending in this game, which is um, frankly somewhat stunning, but also just kind of like right down the middle of the plate of the worst case scenario we painted in our previews. And um, I guess on one hand, there's nowhere to go but up, but uh, on the other hand, it might be some rough I mean, sledding, y'all. It, yeah. So I I, th- I think I think wait, where you want to start, and like we always talk about, you start on the line, offensive and defensive line. I mean, we've talked about, you know, the defensive line, you know, what, what our concerns were there. And, and we'll go into that in just a little bit, but the offensive line struggled. I mean, Ben Bryant, who is not the fleetest of foot, um, sacked five times, hit a number more, uh, just never was able to establish a pocket, never could like sit in there and, and pick apart the defense. Just, had no time to to do anything and like we we didn't run the ball at all cam porter six carries 11 yards um or sorry six carries for eight yards sorry because you know 11 yards gained three yards lost but uh you know and was that because we were down 14 nothing after only having the ball for a minute and 30 seconds possibly i mean we the game plan probably got thrown out the window and now we're chasing and you know, we couldn't get into what we wanted to do. I don't know. But, like, it, it, offense was rough. Well, so I want to say this right off the bat because we're going to be bringing Brendan Sullivan's name up a fair amount here, which I'm sure a lot of you are expecting. And because of that, I want to make it really clear right off the top. We just talked about Gavin Wimsett. You know who's way better than Gavin Wimsett and it's not close? Ben Bryant. It's not close. Ben Bryant's a way better quarterback who, within the construct of this game, was in a way worse situation. And it's a situation that it's not just about this game. It is just the, I mean, you meant the situation on the offensive line is dire. And Scuzz mapped it out, as Scuzz said, in the summer preview of kind of 
the potential for this to go sideways and it it's we're, what we're looking at is the worst case scenario and again to look at the <clears throat> there are a couple things one of the things and this goes back to sort of what I was talking about I was talking about the Rutgers offensive tape but one of the things you need to understand is Rutgers was one of the worst pass rushing teams in the Big Ten last year they had 20 sacks all season and then hit a court got a quarter of the way to that mark in this game they had five sacks and there it's tough because there were breakdowns major breakdowns at every area of the line it was everything from technique to strength to footwork to reading where pressure was coming from okay so many of those things are fixable problems over time but you have to juxtapose that against the fact that just within the next couple of weeks, we're going to play teams who are exponentially better at getting to the quarterback than Rutgers. That might include UTEP. It includes Duke and Penn State by a factor of 10 if you watched either of their games this weekend. And so, again, when you when you juxtapose forward, you have to think about it. Mean, I guess we won't we won't go there at this point, but... Poor Ben Bryan is is put in this impossible situation right now because even by the standards of, I think, really any Northwestern quarterback we've seen, including Ryan Holinsky, Ben Bryan is the least mobile of any of those guys. Um, and his career numbers support that. And I don't know. His 15-yard scamper was pretty nice. I've designed Holinsky. Let's just start off, there. Off, off of a design, off of a designed run. I'll say with that that I think that was a card, not unlike that fake punt that you can play one time. <laughs> I don't think there's enough. I think that card is out of the deck now. But oh, are I you think, are you saying our offensive playbook is maybe short sighted? Well, it's funny you say right, that. You remove the modifier. Short. Yeah, let's just yeah. We'll, we'll get there in a second. Finish your thought on on yeah, uh, Brian. And and well, that's the, I mean I'm I'm teeing you up here because it's a combination of of one. Ren Bryant being very immobile, which again, it's just, it's a type of quarterback. He's a really good version of this type of quarterback, but he's completely immobile. A line that right now cannot protect him, cannot protect him. And a set of plays that in a, at a lot of moments are hanging a guy in this situation out to dry. Yeah, I, it's woof. Um, I, I, I know you're teaming me up here. I want to I want to jump up to to twenty thousand feet for a second because this, much like that that Rutgers the the defense's performance against Rutgers from a yardage perspective looks like reasonable. On the offensive side, it's the opposite. So the only game last year where Northwestern gained less than the two hundred and one yards they gained here was against Iowa, when they only put up one seventy seven. In twenty twenty one, there was not a single game where they where they had less than two hundred and forty yards of offense. You have to go back to 2019, where there were, I think, five games kind of at this at this caliber. This this game, the the offensive performance on Sunday is akin to Northwestern's defense to start the 2021 year against Michigan State. That's it. It feels like that big of a drop off, which is stunning because of how bad our offense was last year as well. Um, but with the same guy running it, I don't like it. It's it's preposterous. We've talked a fair amount about about Bajaki in this off season, and um, I, 
I'm reevaluating everything I've ever, you know, thought about his past performances and, you know, what he's capable of unlocking for Northwestern. It's just, um, it seems completely impossible that his concept of offense even works in college anymore. Maybe, I don't know. Like, it's like, I, I, I just, I, I cannot and will not believe that there's not talent on this team and there aren't players that can run and operate an effective offense. Um, it, yeah, I mean, Cam Johnson and AJ Henning looked solid yeah, it, for what we could, for what we could tell. I mean, uh, you saw yeah. some speed, you saw some size. I mean, like I, I liked what I saw from those guys. There's, there's no, like our offensive line is just as big as it's been in the past. These guys are more heralded than guys we've had in the past. I think, I think the, you have to call into question Kirk and Kurt Anderson, who has, you know, some very, very impressive individual development stories, but his offensive lines as a unit have honestly just gotten worse the last three years, in my opinion. Um, I like it's, it's a real mystery. And I just like where, where I'm at right now is I, I don't know that, I don't know that Bajakian can bring anything to the table to to fix to to fix and sort this out. I, like I was literally googling earlier today. Like, what do you do in an offense when when your offensive line is poor? Um, and it's not that they're like it's not that they're untalented. It's just like there's you know you've got youth at center. So John, you're talking about like identifying you know where the rusher is coming from or who the rusher is or you know switches and stunts and all that sort of stuff like that's going to be a struggle for a brand new center. You've got effectively two brand new tackles that um, were also struggling. Now, so some of this is like first game, you know, first game with a new line, right? you got to build some continuity. It's the lowest number of like career starts and, and that Northwestern has had on offensive line in a long time. And frankly, like they have, they have literally zero continuity this is the first game they've ever played together. So um, it makes sense that it would be this poor, but I just, I, it is, it's not a talent issue. It's, it's a, it's a coaching and development issue. It's it like, this goes back to when, when you look at the players that you have on the offensive line and let's be, let's be also clear, like nothing that happened this summer has had any, any impact on the offensive side of the ball at all. Like if Pat Fitzgerald were still calling plays on the sideline and nothing that that happened in July had happened, like this is, this is what Saturday would have looked like. Um, I just like that this is a it's it's a situation where where the the play caller seems broken and the way he's constructing his offense and teaching his offense and just identifying what the strengths and weaknesses of his offense are like way upstream like like how in God's green earth do we come out and run what was it five straight passes up tempo to answer a 16 play just march down the field touchdown drive from Rutgers. Yeah. Like, like, I mean, just, just the, just the misevaluation of talent on the offensive line and what they could be good at. Like you're not setting up your players. Like, you're not setting anybody up for success. That is a coach's job. That is a manager's job. That is what you're supposed, you're supposed to, to figure out what your people are good at and help unlock their, their talent. And it's just not happening. And we're seeing like, it's almost like every year, the coaching staff, and I'm I'm going back like I've been I've been thinking about the last ten years of Northwestern offense all day today. Like every year, it's like 
they get a little more conservative, like they turtle turtle shell a little bit more. And I'm not talking about play calling. I'm just talking about like creativity and like finding solutions to problems. There are no solutions. It's like last year, and this is, you know, we're, we're going to get into a, a little bit of a debate here where, you know, I, I don't think it really matters what we do at the quarterback position. I know, John, you have, you have strong opinions that you think Brendan Sullivan gives us the best chance to win right now. I think you're probably right, but like, I'll go a step further. Like we saw Brendan Sullivan try to one man this, you know, gig last year and it didn't go well. And I just, I think if, if there's one silver lining, this game has confirmed without a doubt, there will be wholesale comprehensive change for Northwestern football going into 2024. And it is desperately needed. Well, that's so, and this is, this is the whole push and pull here. And because it's one game of the season and I think we're all, everyone's got varying degrees of having totally given up and being like, we can see how the other levering games are going to play out. And I'm really trying to fight against that for a couple of reasons. One, I just, I don't want to think that way. I want to believe that there are games where I know Northwestern has a path, which looking back, Rutgers was one of those games. UTEP is one of those games. There aren't a lot of them. But there are a fair, like not a fair amount there, okay? UTEP is one. But looking at this Rutgers game, I, I, I look, well, I look back now and I look at this game and I'm like, if Brendan Sullivan started this game, we would have been in better shape. And again, it's not on Ben Bryant, but you can look at the Bajakian era and basically if you make like an X axis and a Y axis and on those axes, axes, one of them is accuracy and one of them is willingness to run. The success graph correlates almost exactly to those two things. The highest rated quarterback of the Bajakian area of the Bajakian era by a fair amount is Brendan Sullivan, followed by Peyton Ramsey. And if you look at Peyton Ramsey's year at Northwestern and compare it with Brendan Sullivan's career here so far. The basic difference is Brendan Sullivan is a slightly more accurate passer. But as we all know, they're incredibly comparable. They are similar size, they're similar build, they throw similarly, and they both are very mobile and very willing to move around and or run. Believe it or not, the third highest rated quarterback of the Bajakian era is Andrew Marty, which is amazing to me, but it is true. And simply because of his willingness to run all of the time. And then Hunter Johnson and then Ryan Holinsky. And and then if we're counting Ben Bryant, but I mean, I'm not trying to throw Ben Bryant under the bus here, okay? Like, it's just fit. And for quarterbacks who don't like to move around in the pocket, this offense has a lot of slow-developing screens when screens are run and a lot of deep outs without, like, deep plays that don't have a viable short option, okay? There were several times this game where I watched four nine routes and a late breaking back out of the backfield that led to our quarterback getting lit up or hucking it up for grabs for his for self-preservation. And I'm just picturing Hunter Johnson curled up in a ball rocking back and forth somewhere. Um, yeah, I was going to say, if, if, if this is giving you shades of 2021 right. versus Duke, like right. you're not alone. And... and Again, it's like, it's, it, it goes to what Scott said, because a lot of you are being like, well, look, if the offensive line stinks, like, what are we supposed to do? And I'm like, look, Brendan Sullivan might be able to run out of it, and I'm 
thinking as much about success as I am about self-preservation. Because Ben Bryant got lit up in this game and is not capable of getting away from all of that pressure. So let me tell you all the things that we could do. Because here's the stuff that you typically do to account for poor pass protection. You could shift to just like a power running game with more blockers. Mobile QB, to your point, John. Uh, Lots of screens, also to your point. Uh, Go to quick timing passes, like think West Coast offense. You can use some misdirection. You can use RPOs or option runs. You can motion players. You can go full air raid. You can, or you can also spread out the D, like to the very edges of the field. Like, I don't think Bajakian is capable of capable of going past the first couple. And based on the last three years, I'm not sure he's able to coach a screen effectively. And I guess the biggest question I have, why in the hell? And again, he's a great quarterback, but why in the hell do you go get Ben Bryant and bring him into this system? If everything we've seen from the last couple years and everything about your comfort and your potential success as an offense is predicated on a running quarterback. What are we doing? Well, I mean, I, I mean, I see it as like a belief and I, this is a theme that I think a lot of people and not just us were talking about on Sunday is a belief in a vision of the offense that just doesn't actually exist right now. And, and you see certain things. I mean, you, you see, I mean, I'll give credit. There was a package that we ran for several plays that was like loved the personnel. It was four wide with Cam Johnson, A.J. Henning, Jacob Gill, and Thomas Gordon as the fourth receiver. Great. It's exactly what we, we've wanted. Now you got to get the ball out. And now if Rutgers is basically being like, look, like you're unprotected in there and like we're, we're bringing four to get you on the belt. Like you have to unbalance them by throwing, showing a threat of run. And if you have to put a mobile quarterback on the, on the field to th- show a threat of run, then you have to do that. Here's the thing about all of this, and here is what we've talked about. And I know this is spinning it forward, but we'll, you know we'll circle back to the defense. But <clears throat> there's the whole thing with Brendan Sullivan. I so Brendan Sullivan. Yes, you can look at that as a garbage time drive. Rutgers was basically in a garbage time defense for the entire fourth quarter of this game. Um, so you can discount what Brendan Sullivan did at the end of the game, but it was the same kind of looks Ben Bryant was seeing for the fourth quarter. Again, not to throw shade at Ben Bryant. We're just talking about the state of this offense and what is workable. I think it is pretty clear if you had started Brendan Sullivan in this game, Northwestern is in a better chance to is is in a better situation and a better chance to win. If you'd named Brendan Sullivan the starter and he did it. Now, none of us expected that was going to happen. We all expected Ben Bryant was going to be named the starter for this game. And it, it's, a, it's a good thing that was kept in, in under wraps that entire time, you know. That, <laughs> yeah, re- really glad no one, no one got a, a dance whiff of that. Totally unprepared. They'll yeah, never see it coming. So Yeah, they were they were they were totally caught off guard. Well wait, well wait. So I so but what I wanted to say is that <clears throat> we all expected Ben Bryant to get the start. But then you really quickly realize what isn't working. You realize you have a quarterback who is a total change of pace. Um, and then the, then the question becomes, okay, like you, yes, you said something to a guy, Ben Bryan. Um, and now you plainly see that in this case, in like, and I literally like this case against Rutgers and maybe against UTEP and maybe nowhere else, 
But maybe in those two games, maybe nowhere else except those games and Howard. But in those games, if you go with Brendan Sullivan, it might make the difference that wins us the game. And and then the question becomes then, okay, so then do you do that or do you not? Well, do that? I'd, go like, ahead, to me, I would propose an, an alternative solution. And that would be, and I, and I, I recognize that the, the level of difficulty here is probably higher. But um, and I'm going to say no shade to Brendan Sullivan, but if you fire Mike Bajaki in tomorrow or right now, for that matter, and bring in somebody else to change the concept of this offense, to run RPOs, to spread defenses out and get players out of the backfield like you, you can operate an offense with a non-dominant offensive line or an offensive line that struggles to pass to pass protect like you can operate an offense and and use all these modern concepts without a mobile quarterback. It's ba- it's about who can make the best decisions in the f- shortest amount of time. That's like, like look, look at, look at Joe Burrow and Patrick Mahomes, dramatically different physical skill sets. What separates them from the rest of quarterbacks is their processing ability, their ability to understand what is happening react to it in the moment, make a split-second decision. That That is what RPO is all about. When you can find a guy that can do that, that takes your 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 offense to a new level, and it, uh, it unlocks so many different things because now you are not just going out there with a, oh, we're going to do this, and then we're going to do that, and then we're going to riff off here. Like you've, you've built options in real time. And... I, I think that has a lot better chance of, um, of of giving Northwestern some potential wins this year is to fire Mike Bajakian tomorrow and bring in and have somebody else just yeah. like completely overhaul the offense doing it. The I, same. I was definitely, I was, I was definitely well, thinking course. out loud. Like does Braun have the authority to just leave an assistant coach on the Jersey turnpike on the way back to the airport? I'm not sure. Well, of course, here's where we have to step back. Right. And look at the situation of the summer and all of the flux and all of and all of that. Right. And be like, that may make this legitimately untenable. Right. I mean, he's one of the only, you know, he's one of the most senior. He's the most senior high profile coach on this team who was a holdover from the previous era. Right. I mean, it it complicates everything and maybe it legit makes it impossible to do. Well, I don't I don't I don't I don't fault David Braun with that like Mike Bajakian should have at the end of last season and it's and we and we were we we absolutely thought it was a preposterous choice at the time and it's um only proven to be more so well let's so let's have this conversation now then because and we we can circle back to the defense and the individuals of the defense but relative to this conversation there's this short-term long-term narrative situation right because it's like yeah, we all know Bajakin's going to be gone at the end of the season. So, but what do you do? Like, like I, as a fan, I, I'm not, I don't want to fast forward 11 games to that point, right? <clears throat> I want to believe as a fan that all, that something good can be pulled out of this season at some point, right? And I don't say that from like, because I'm oblivious. I think we mapped out to you in our Northwestern preview in extensive detail exactly what we thought this team could potentially be, and then that's exactly what it was. So, like, we're well aware. I just want to believe something could potentially come out of this. 
I think you can be very realistic. And this goes to the SCUS thing to be like, you, you start asking questions like, is there a difference between 2 and 10 and 1 and 11? Is there a difference between not beating UTEP and beating UTEP if the only other game that you win during the season is Howard? And honestly, it's kind of dealer's choice. I think Scuzz, we were talking, comes down on one side. I come down on like, I... Let me bring you another scenario to to just compare and contrast. Um, And maybe my recollection is wrong, but I recall the end of the 2021 season and us being frustrated that they kept going back to Andrew Marty as the starter, especially in that last game against Illinois. We were, we were really shocked because we were like Northwestern ain't winning any of these games. Like love Andrew Marty, love giving the senior his due. Could we see some of the younger quarterbacks to see what they might have to offer, get them some run, get some experience that might pay dividends in the following year. Yeah, I mean, it's like, I get what you're saying in terms of like, looking for and and again, like, there's if the quarterback who's going to be out there this season is going to get pinata, like, I then I mean, keeping Brendan Sullivan, like, there, there's there's that, that long term be like, well, let's put Brendan Sullivan on the bench. Or there's the completely reasonable argument that in a general sense, looking at this whole season, against the vast majority of the teams on this schedule, but chiefly Duke, Penn State, Iowa, Wisconsin, Illinois, it's not going to matter which of these guys is out there given the construction of this offense and just like where this offense is right now. Those are all reasonable arguments. In addition, we like put up a tweet today and then saw someone in the comments just kind of roasting us for the very notion of going with Ben Bryant over other, other Brendan Sullivan. I mean, going with Brendan Sullivan, going with Brendan Sullivan over Ben Bryant with the perspective of like, this guy won the competition in, in the summer, which at least as far as we know, according to like Mike Bajakian's decision-making, he did, which again, no shade to Ben Bryant. Ben Bryant's a good quarterback. Both of these guys are good quarterbacks. Okay. Um, he won the, the, he won the job outright and that you're sending a bad message to the team. Um, you know, if you make a promise like that and then you go back on it um, after one game, those things are both totally theoretically true. In addition to the fact that Ben Bryant's resume is excellent over the course of his time um, at the two stops prior to Northwestern. Okay. And against that, you just have to weigh the fact that we all know, every fan knows, that if you start Brendan Sullivan against UTEP, we have a much better chance of beating UTEP. It's not a question. We all know that. We all just know. You start Brendan Sullivan against UTEP, there's a way better chance of winning. Sure, We're not sure, going to do that. If your game plan is preposterously upside down like it was this past weekend on offense, if you bring him... I, I mean, are you, are, are you expecting something different? I mean that's that, I mean, that that's the thing. I, like it, like if Jakeian is going to dig in his heels and say, "Well, this is the game plan I'm calling," then yes, the, yes, he should start Brendan Sullivan. I don't, I don't understand how a a person as as tenured as him can have that disconnect of, "Well, I want to start this guy, but this is the game plan that I want to run." I mean, 
I mean, that's, but I mean, it, you do run up against things like, hey, I, I promised this guy that he was, that, it, and, and it's like, you did. And, you know, it was, again, not for any fault of Ben Bryant. Like, the move right now is to put Brendan Sullivan on the field, spread things out, and be like, you so much as sniff an alley, you go get that. And you just go, and then we'll operate what, off of that. What if we put it them just, both on the field? <laughs> <laughs> 2013 good style get, good get some, give me some eric peterman throwback but but again but again like to circle back to kind of like my main point right the the person who wrote that comment is right you would be taking ben bryant who you gave the job and and you know david braun sat at a podium and was like we're going to go with one guy and then you gave it and then after one game you're like oh shoot nope yeah. well, sorry I, I, it has to be I, the I other guy. I, I can't that, help going like, back again, and I realize I'm referencing the 2021 season a lot, but I like after that Duke game, Hunter Johnson got the hook. We didn't see him again, and we talked a lot about those those four nine route plays where he's just heaving it up, you know, a a, a prayer, fifty uh, fifty ball that gets picked off, and he got benched for those interceptions. I. I think bench, benching Ben Bryant right now because of the interception. Now, obviously, you you can you can deliver a message in a in a much more, you know. Um, I don't I don't know that amenable he, way, that, but like I don't know that benching him is, is the it's not his, it's, like, it's, it's it's not, not his it, fault. It's not benching He's him. Not, but he didn't play bad. I know it's not benching him. He just but wasn't like, put in his position to succeed. He was not put in a position to succeed exactly. And 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 if he won the job, if you think that he has something to offer. You need to build a game plan to support that. Here, I mean, here's the point to go back to where we were before. Rutgers ain't that good of a defense. They're just not. And particularly not when it comes to sacking the quarterback. And they looked like one in this game because of the situation. And this goes to that short-term, long-term thing. Because really starting with UTEP, but only continuing from there, the degree of difficulty is just going to go way up. And to the point where, like, these fixes that you're talking about, like, they may take Oh, oh they would take, they would take weeks. But, would, I mean, you'd be, yeah. But, and, and, right. And that's offset by the fact that the teams yeah. get way better. And, but again, it goes back to, so, you know, for one week this week, it is a 1.5 point spread, right? Ignore the fact we are the underdog and simply focus on the fact that against UTEP, the spread is 1.5 points. Ask yourself if we will see a spread close to 1.5 points for the rest of this season against an FBS football team and be like, you do, you start Brendan Sullivan for this week. You got a chance to win this game. Is it worth it? Is it worth it to, to win this game? Um, if, you run out the same offense. UTEP, the best total defense in the uh, con- in Conference USA last year, who has at times throttled its opposition defensively this year, is going to eat us alive. But again, I don't want to put the cart before the horse because I don't know if if you have anything else you want. You guys have anything else you want to say about the offense? Because I definitely want to talk about the defense. Hold hold on, I I, I I got I gotta I gotta I gotta take three more shots at Bajakian. Okay. Please go for so, it. I will. I will not stop. Yeah, you. the first thing I'm going to say is, well, I guess not a shot at Bajakian per se, but like, yeah, like John, I hear your point, and I don't, I don't really disagree. I think, I think where my head is at is that this is a lost season, and I think 
it's up for debate what's best for the team and the players. I mean, it'd be it'd be a little different if like, oh, yep, all right, clear out the offensive coordinator, and we'll see if we get somebody new in and rejuvenate this thing midseason if you knew your head coach was going to hang around. But I think it's pretty clear. I don't want to, you know, leap to conclusions, but I think it's it was pretty clear to me coming into the season. My expectation was that, you know, this is a – this is not an audition for a head coaching job for David Braun and that this is much more likely a, it's, it, you know, everybody knows it's a lost year going in We're going to do our best to get what we can get out of it, et cetera. Um, so we, you know, I like, I don't disagree that Sullivan, like a mobile quarterback by definition offers you more opportunity. I just don't have any faith in Bajakian to make good on that. And I, I, I'm struggling with the premise that it actually gives us a better chance to win. That is not saying really anything about about Sullivan or Bryant. That's really just a comment on Bajakian. I want to layer two other two other comments about about Bajakian to just I just want this in everybody's mind as we're going forward. Uh, much much like our our I don't know call it a campaign call it whatever around Mick McCall in the uh, 2020, 2019 season. But um, so first and foremost, something I mentioned on our Northwestern preview. I went back to to Peyton Ramsey. Peyton Ramsey's year with Northwestern was the year, worst year of his career statistically. No shade to Peyton Ramsey. Peyton Ramsey's awesome. That year was exceptional in so many ways, and 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 what we all needed, given everything that we were going through in our in our personal lives that year. Um. Peyton Ramsey will go down as you know a a beloved quarterback at Northwestern and should. But that was the worst year statistically of his career. That is an indictment to me of Fitz and Bajakian and their approach to offense, that he regressed across pretty much every statistical category, not just from the prior year at IU, but from his, his entire, the corpus of his, of his college body of work. Second, when Bajakian was hired we talked a lot about his one year at Boston college and we were really excited because of what he did there, which was a power running game that, that was riffed on with play action hitting, you know, these unheralded tight ends deep, like opening up, you know, the offense, et cetera, blah, 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 blah. It felt like, it felt like a, a welcome change from Mick McCall and the conservative offense that we had seen for so many years. And at the same time, an offense that Pat Fitzgerald could embrace and could live with. And we've not seen it come to fruition. And the stat I wish I had looked at, I wish I had looked at A.J. Dillon's stats when he was at Boston College. So A.J. Dillon was the running back for, for Boston College that, that year with Bajakian, 2019. He was also the running back the two prior seasons. He is now, uh, he's, he's been with the um, Green Bay Packers since. He's an offensive lineman playing <laughs> running back. What is he? Six. He's like two hundred and seventy pounds. Or um, that's a good. That's a good question. I I don't know how big he is. Um, he's yes, monstrous. but he's he's very large. He's been in the pros for like five years. Um, he's listed at six foot two hundred and forty seven pounds. So like we don't have a guy like this on our roster. Yeah. Like full stop. We never have. His senior year at Boston College, he ran for like seventeen hundred yards, five point three yards per carry, fourteen TDs. Um, he was really good. He was the, the stud of their offense. Everything that Bajakian did was a riff off of what A.J. Dillon gave him. However, A.J. Dillon was 
just as good the prior year. So he played three less games. He had five less. Uh, he had four less touchdowns as a result. Slightly lower average at four point nine, but still a really good season. His freshman year at Boston College, virtually identical stats to twenty nineteen. What that tells me is that the the success that I was so excited about that Bajakian had had at, at BC, and what I thought that meant about the way he could operate as a college coach uh, for Northwestern and what he could bring to Northwestern from all of his prior stops, that success was mostly delivered by A.J. Dillon just being outstanding. And that's my bad that I missed that, and I'm really mad at myself that I did, and I'm really pissed that Mike Bajakian is still our offensive coordinator. Again, too, and I think you talked about the the final year of Mick McCall. And I think part of the reason there was so much anger attached to that is that there'd been the feeling that we were never going to get rid of him and that it was going to go on indefinitely. And that despite the dogged effort of the fans and everything, it's a little different this year. And it's a little different because it's almost a foregone conclusion that we're moving on at the end of the season. And again, I, I want to try to like live game to game. It was a foregone conclusion last November. It should have happened. And, and that's the thing where I'm like, I, I, you know, I, I want to be a loyal fan to the extent that I live week to week here and be like, yeah, well, let's not look, let's not think about that. Let's just think about this week. And if we did this thing, it would for sure make a big difference. And again, I know this is all lip service because it's not going to happen. We probably, you know, there's a chance we don't see Brendan Sullivan. And if we do, we see him late. Um, and, you know, and, and again, I don't want to think forward to playing Duke and playing Penn State with a quarterback who can't evade what those guys are going to be sending at us. It's just, it's it's where we are. But in, in the interest of a pivot here, one of the reasons that I do look at a game like UTEP and I say, shouldn't we week to week be just throwing out everything else other than what gives us the best chance to win that week? And part of the reason I think that is because on the defensive side of the ball, those guys are giving their effing all. And you saw a group of guys play 150% effort on the defensive side of the ball. And for whatever the strengths and weaknesses of this defense, those guys gave their all and they left it out on the field and, you know, did everything they could to succeed out there. Yeah, so let's let's talk about the defense. I mean, you know, we talked about, you know, 280 some odd yards given up is not bad. I mean that that's that's a solid effort. Um, everyone is going to point to the first two drives that you know the two 16 play drives that just ate up the you know most of the first half that resulted in touchdowns. And like, yeah. Aside from that though, the defense played really well. I mean Rutgers really couldn't get anything else going. Um, you know the remainder of the day, like no real sustained drives going on. Um, you know, th- things were under control. Sure. We did not see much of a pass rush um, that, you know, we'll, we'll talk about that in a sec, but like, you know, I, I think back to that, that first drive and, you know, they went for it on fourth down like three times and got it three times. But like, I was I've been harping on before this you know before the season on how we needed to play good on third down and that first drive we did play good on third down we forced them into two four three fourth down tries which they happened to all get which you know sucks but you also had the the Devin Turner like almost interception 
that ends it. Their touchdown was on one of the greatest catches you'll ever see. And the coverage was there. I mean, our secondary played amazing. Our linebackers played amazing. Our defensive line did as well as they could have. And, and that's the thing, is amazing and did as well as they could have. And it's that's a perfect way to put it. It's not intended to be shade. The common thread through all those guys is effort. If we're looking at the back seven guys, I mean, the defensive line juggled combinations of guys all day with intent and focus looking for the best fit. In terms of the personnel in the back seven I want to see against UTEP, it is the exact same seven guys who started this game and played friggin' great, okay? That was a great group. Turner, Azima, Theron Johnson, um, Garnett, Hollis, and of course, Hurd, Gallagher, Mueller. Like, those guys played their tails off in this game. And I know like in the postgame, Wildcat Report made the point that there were a couple high-profile plays in this game that looked, that went really poorly in the back seven. Um, and were, you know, that especially on tape looked really bad for certain groups of guys. I would counter and say, uh, like, that is true. But I would counter and say that the overall group of the performance, these guys played out of their minds in rough sledding with no help from their offense in a game. It appeared they were in no way that Northwestern did not have a prayer of closing that gap at any point, And those guys never took the foot off the gas at any point. Bryce being the, I mean, 19 tackles. That guy did nothing but throw himself and, you know, throw himself into this, you know, to do everything he could for this team. Um, and you look at an effort like that. I mean, it really was for a couple of these guys, just a heroic effort out there. And you look at an effort like that. And again, you say, don't you owe it to guys like that to do everything you possibly can come hell or high water on the other side of the ball to, to win a football game that might be winnable. But like in the back seven, I, I take nothing away from the effort of those guys. And, and again, like those guys all looked great. Just like you said, like they looked great. Um, I'll go to war with those guys. Like, for sure. It's a great unit. Theron Johnson stepped right in and you're like, great. You're obviously ready to go. Like, we got our corners. Um, The defensive line is what we said it was all summer. And we talked about the issue of these two freshmen. It's very clear they're only going to play if injuries press them into service. And... The, obviously, as Scuzz said right off the top, and this goes to the discussion we had with Scuzz immediately after the game, Rutgers running numbers are horrible in this game, and their passing numbers aren't that great either, and the total offense is great. And that's a respect, that is a reflection of the effort that these guys all put in. But it's very clear on this defensive line that to put together any kind of stable run defense... The personnel Northwestern has to put on the field can't get to the quarterback at all. There are interesting, pleasant surprises. Like I found Jalen Pate and Anto Saka at opposite ends. When those two guys were out there in a situation where Northwestern 100% knew that Rutgers was going to throw the ball, Northwestern was kind of able to get some pressure with those two guys. Um, And... You, I mean, but you needed both of them on the field. 
and they're both really light. And with the defensive tackle rotation we're going to be working with, that is in no way tenable if there's even a chance the other team could run the ball. We tried so many personnel formations in this game. And it wasn't a question of just like, oh, it's this guy's turn, it's this guy's turn. You could clearly see that Braun and the coaches were doing everything they could to try to figure out, like, find a balance or something like that. Like, in terms of the guy who best splits the run pass difference, that is for sure Richie Haggerty. And Richie Haggerty was able to do that really effectively at the FCS level. He's obviously making the switch to FBS, but he played a ton in this game because of the fact that he brought that balance to the extent that a lot of other players didn't. Oh, I just I just want to emphasize something you said there, John, and that's and that's to contrast what the defensive coaches were doing in this first game of the season versus what we saw the last two years, which was pretty much like a set rotation that never really changed. Um, I mean, like the my I think my favorite thing from twenty twenty one was was it Bradley Locker or somebody else did like the the season recap and was like there are 13 linebackers in the linebacker room at Northwestern. And I can only evaluate three of them because nobody else played. And so like, I just like the idea that they, that they tried all these different combinations on the defensive line. They tried so many different things and they achieved a, you know, a, a pretty good, this result from an average yards per carry standpoint, the only teams that were held to less than, than, three and a half yards per carry last year by Northwestern the defense were Southern Illinois and Purdue. Yeah. And, and I guess technically, technically Nebraska, but please see our Mark Whipple commentary from the last two right. podcasts. <laughs> um, so like, I like, I want to give a little bit of credit where credit is due. And I like, I think I'm, I'm trying really hard not to overreact to the first week of the season. Um, because I don't like, like, yeah, Rutgers is not supposed to be good. Their strength is supposed to be, like, running the ball. Um, they didn't look great there. They might not be that good at running the ball. Last year, like, their defense was all right. Their their defense might not be that good. It's, it's, it's very, very hard to, like, measure yourself by your opponent right now. Um, but and, – and, and I don't – we cannot say at this standpoint that the – the expectations we had coming in for the defense that the, that the, the defensive line was going to be the biggest challenge, especially against the run. Like that may very well still be true, but it can simultaneously be true that we've got measured noticeable change from last year and a coaching staff that is more equipped and comfortable trialing things and seeing what works. And that's, that's really valuable. It is true. I think it is the stark reality that, for example, like at the end position, Northwestern doesn't appear to have an end who can do both of stop the run effectively and get to the quarterback. Like we just don't have that player. And we have a bunch of interchangeable pieces. We have really light guys who can potentially get to the quarterback. And again, Pete and Saka were, especially in tandem, a very pleasant surprise. I loved the work rate and the speed of those guys off the end. And in a situation where you do force a team into a third down situation where you know they're passing, like I'd really love to see those guys um, go to work some more. But A, the Rutgers, again, 
like they were one of the two worst offenses in the Big Ten last year, so you have to factor that in. The defensive line, I mean, the the interior, it's just going to continue to be one of the other things that I don't think we we had talked about prior to our big summer preview and that we didn't really go into is one of the other issues with having such issues on the defensive line is that the depth issues and you can look at Matt Lawson. We don't know the situation, but that looked like a pretty rough injury that he had. And that's to a defensive line that is obviously just starving for depth already. And you're going to, I mean, we're going to find out to Scuzz's point about like, hey, one game, we're going to find out really quickly because UTEP is going to hammer us on the ground. Um, and they may be a different level of rushing team than Rutgers is. But again, like on the defensive side of the ball, I don't want to take away from the fact that a lot of these guys played their asses off, played with 110% effort, given what was going on in the offensive side of the ball. And given the fact that Northwestern could not generate a pass rush in this game in any way, shape, or form, um, it could have been worse than 24 points, and it wasn't. And the reason it wasn't is because of the effort and play that those guys put out on the defensive side of the ball. So again, it's like they they did everything they could. Those guys on the defensive side of the ball did everything that they could, and I fully expect them to do that against UTEP. So, I, I mean, I do want uh, to, you know, look at this game against UTEP, kind of look around the conference a little bit, but I I just want to leave this game with one final thought. And I, again, want to stress this. Anyone who thinks the result of this game would have been different if Pat Fitzgerald was the head coach is deluding themselves. This had nothing to do with any of the offseason stuff. This was an offensive coaching travesty. This is, I mean, this is kind of what we expected, like coming out of last season, when we saw Braun coming, and we were excited about what he might be bring to the table, but we knew the realities of the roster, and we were like, well, they gotta, they gotta make some wins in the transfer portal, and they didn't. And then on the other side, you know, we we thought it was pretty clear that Bajakian should should have moved on. Um, they didn't do that. And, you know, I said it last week, like if this offense is successful, it means that we're seeing something noticeably like, like different from last year, measurably different from last year. And that's Bryant and Henning and Johnson and, and these other guys, and and maybe Sullivan, right. Who, who is very accurate and does bring, you know, great mobility to, to extend plays like that. I don't, I'm not leaving him out of that. Right. But like, that it'd be a different type of offense. Um, and we saw exactly the same thing on O. And so for like, th- this is, this is exactly what we expected to see, like coming off of last, last season, know like knowing what we know now about who Northwestern did. And didn't I would, I would tack onto that. What you said, Sam, to the simple fact that this is a Pat Fitzgerald constructed team. This is Pat Fitzgerald's yep. team. He's not the coach right now, but this is, that is the head coach who led us to where we are at this current state of time. If you or a loved one is seriously injured by someone else's negligence, hire Kent Sinson of the Sinson Law Group. After over a decade prosecuting murder cases in Chicago, Sinson opened his own firm focused on wrongful death and personal injury cases. He specializes in car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and other transportation accidents, 
as well as construction accidents, medical negligence, slip and falls, product liability, and more. Millions recovered for clients. No fee unless he wins. The Simpson Law Group. Compassion, empathy, and vigorous advocacy. Go to SimpsonLawGroup.com or call 312-332-2107 for a free consultation. And go Cats! Uh, so with that, let's look ahead to the home opener on Saturday against UTEP. Um, team that comes in 1-1 one and one after losing their opener close to Jacksonville State, a team that went on to win their second to win their second game 49 to 3. Um, UTEP then went on to beat Incarnate Word, um, one of the top teams in the FCS, uh, pretty handily. It, it ain't good, folks. It ain't it ain't good. Uh, Vegas found that out really quickly when they installed Northwestern as three point favorites, and then betters hammered that line four and a half points in the other direction, um, to the point where now we are one and a half point home underdogs. Um, a couple things: one, UTEP came into this season thought of as being potentially the best defensive football team in Conference USA, and they have done nothing to dissuade anyone from that notion. Um, they had trouble in their first game on the ground because Jacksonville State was playing read option with a fast mobile quarterback, which gave UTEP some problems. It did not give UTEP any problems in the air because that guy did not throw the ball well and they totally shut him down. He threw for like 60 yards in the game, but they gained over 200 yards on the ground at like a five something per clip because they could run read option and it was making um, it was making UTEP think and have to work. They still only gave up 17 points in that game. And as we talked about that week, they were the better team clearly and were snake bit on offense and should have won that game. And then the Incarnate Word game. So you might be looking at the fact that Incarnate Word scored 14 points in this game and be thinking they are an FCS football team and we are an FBS football team and a Power 5 football team. So those numbers don't translate. Incarnate Word at the FCS level scored 70 points four times last year. They played Nevada an FBS football team and hung 55 on them. They played, wait for it, Southern Illinois last year. Guess how many points they scored against Southern Illinois? 64. And the last game Incarnate Word played before this game against UTEP was in the FCS semifinals where they gave up, where they scored 32 points against one of the best defenses in the FCS. Does anyone want to guess who the coach of that defense was in that game? It was David Braun. And the next game they played was this UTEP game. And they added Zach Calzada, erstwhile Northwestern, you know, quarterback Northwestern recruited pretty heavily, who was at Texas A&M and beat Alabama while he was at Texas A&M. And is an incarnate word. And basically what happened in that game was in the first half of the game, Incarnate Word, through a pure passing offense, made some moves and moved the ball a little bit on UTEP. And in the second half, UTEP throttled them. It was, I think, Incarnate Word had 49 pass yards in the second half, all of which came on the final drive of the half, and that drive ended in an interception. UTEP piled up 330 rush yards in this game, 
And again, you may be saying the FCS portion of this, but I went and looked. F- Incarnate Word's entire defensive line are basically all transfers from other schools. And the defensive line that they started in that game, left to right, was a former four-star recruit um, who went to Texas, a former, I think, high three-star recruit who went to Kansas and weighed 323 pounds, um, a former SMU uh, player, and then a former four-star Michigan State transfer. So their offensive line, their defensive line across was transfers from Texas, Kansas, SMU, and Michigan State. For major stretches of the Rutgers game, we started left to right a transfer from Wyoming, a walk-on at Northwestern, a transfer from Fresno State, and a transfer from Southern Illinois. So again, like don't be thinking that this is some sort of apples and oranges situation. Like UTEP can shut you down from scoring the ball and they can pile up brush yards. Yeah. I, when I previewed their offense, I, you know, their, their head coach uh, worked under Bill Snyder at Kansas state for nine years. They're a gritty team. They're going to run the ball from a variety of, of looks and a variety of, of formations with a variety of different backs. They have, they have a solid stable of running backs. They've got a good O line. The QB Hardison is experienced. He's got a rocket launcher for an arm. Um, he and his thousand yard receiver both returned from last year. They've got, you know, plenty of pedigree. Like this is a this is a very legit offense that is not figuring things out as they go. They 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 know what they do. They know who they are. They know what their approach is because they're doing it for the, you know, second or third year in a row here. And uh yeah, this this is gonna be a lift for Northwestern. It's gonna be a really tough, tough game. Yeah. And and again, UTEP's playing good football right now. Like Tishka's point, like they're not trying to get to another point. Like they're doing it right now. They were a little snake bit in their first game and then they absolutely got it together. And they, I mean, they, we talked about Rutgers starting good linebackers. Tyrese Knight for UTEP is a better linebacker. He's a better defensive player than anyone Rutgers starts. Tyrese Knight is a phenomenal football player. And Northwestern as the offense is currently constituted, doesn't have a way to stop him. And we're just going to have to figure that out on the fly. Um, It's not a good matchup. This is a good team on both sides of the ball that is figuring things out. We thought they were going to beat Jacksonville State. We thought they might lose to Incarnate Word. And the reverse happened. And now, like, again, they're a team very much looking at, you know, trying to get into this Conference USA race. And we're going to have to raise our game. It is a winnable game for sure. That's why the line only 1.5 points, regardless of the direction. But we are going to have to make a substantial improvement to win this game. A um, couple of logistics uh, for those of you going to the game. Um, you know, We're going to be there. John and I will be there on Saturday uh, in the East parking lot. Um, we are able to get East, uh, East lot passes this year. Uh, where exactly we will be, we're not 100% sure yet. Um, kind of depends on a whole bunch of other things. But look for that red pirate flag. Um, I believe, John, you you have all the you have all the gear, right? Yeah, it's going to be, again, as we intimated in a previous pod, it's going to be a more stripped down situation. But we hope to still have a lot of stuff set up, have food for you, have libations for you. Um the goal We're is to be, need those, yeah, for sure. Exactly. The goal is to be up as close to you know Wildcat Alley 
uh, in the east parking lot as we can be and that's kind of where we've been in years past so try to get there early to, to set up for you but yeah we we will be there um there and and please come and find us hang out we'll, we'll give you a beer like we're we're going to be there and we we'd love to uh, to hang out with you guys and scuzz are you available for uh, facetime if need be uh it's possible <laughs> <laughs> we, we actually haven't contemplated this before we should um we should look into this it's possible D- dial you in from time to time if if necessary yeah. we'll, we'll figure that all Maybe. out uh kind of want to just go over a little bit um last week in the big 10 and kind of nationwide uh you know nebraska gun on nebraska i mean that was the first game the, that thursday night um august 31st and yeah, can I just was... can I just pre- preempt you for two seconds please, here? Like, please go, folks. As we enter this section, I want everyone to understand. Nobody understands how better. Nobody understands better than us how bad the state of Northwestern football is. We are still going to take some enjoyment making fun of other teams. Yeah. I mean, and just, it's, you know, prepare. If you don't, if you don't want to hear that, if you think that's hypocritical, like tune out right now, like spoiler alert, if that's what's about to happen. However, however relative things might be right. That, uh, that Minnesota Nebraska game. I mean, and again, part of that was we were living in a world where we were still trying to hold out to the most optimistic parts of the, of the, the preview and the look we took at this team this summer. But Minnesota and Nebraska both looked very bad in that game. And I think that is not, again, for all we know, Rutgers is bad. So take this all with a grain of salt. But at least within the context of their playing against each other, that did not look like a game either team deserved to win. And it looked like a game Nebraska was going to win. And then Nebraska just lost it because they're Nebraska. Like that's what happened in that game. Yeah, it was pretty fun. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it really was. Um, I mean, like just like more broadly, I think we expected Nebraska to have a lot of problems. Their, their line did not look good. Their quarterback looked pretty good. Like Jeff Sims looked awesome. Um, he can run a real experienced leader, but yeah, they're very one dimensional. And, um, Minnesota on the other hand, I think really struggled to find their offense. Um, eventually Kaliak Manis and, um, Jackson started connecting and, uh, like that touchdown that they, that they scored to, to, to take the lead was, or, or to tie it was, um, maybe the best catch I've ever seen in college. The, 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 yeah, toe, that was the toe drag that Jackson had was unbelievable. It bears um, mentioned that that, that play was either on third or fourth down after Kaliak Manis had, missed several throws in a row and after he gift wrapped an interception that a Nebraska guy dropped. Like Yeah. And just then drops a dime at the at the boundary in the end zone that Jackson had like like Jackson held his front foot up in the air for a split second to allow his back foot to hit while like in full stride. It was unbelievable. Um but the thing that we were calling out about Minnesota going into the year is that their running game was going to be greatly diminished. They were not going to be able to dominate teams in time of possession in the past. And that that was going to have a dramatic uh, impact on their defense. And that narrative looks uh, very, very alive. On Friday, Michigan state uh, beat central Michigan 31 to seven. I'm not going to lie. I didn't watch a second of that game. Credit to Michigan, credit to Michigan state. Cause it did not start well. And given everything we knew about Michigan state, uh, 
it really looked like a lot of that was going to come home to roost really, really quickly. And then they, they got it together. Yeah. Noah Kim looked really good as a QB. Um, so we'll, I mean, we'll see if that's the answer for them that, that could, I mean, they, that would go a long way. They had a, you know, we thought they had a rebuild this year. They could go a long way to jumpstarting it. If Noah Kim is the guy. Uh, on Saturday, uh, Michigan beat East Carolina 30 to three. Check. Check. Yep. On, on we go. I mean, like such, <laughs> they're so sleepwalking. They're so sleepwalking through the beginning of their schedule that a bunch of their coaches didn't even come to the game there. That's where they are right now. <laughs> Um, Ohio State beat Indiana twenty three to three. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, if if yeah. I was if I was we have we st- have different opinions. We have on different. If I was texting someone about this game, I'd put about ten of those sets of eyeballs at the end of the text because from what I'm looking at, Kyle McCord ain't it. Scuzz wants to see a much larger sample size. I just he had what Stroud had. He has all the weapons in the world at his disposal and he was not it. And Indiana, I mean, honestly, if Indiana didn't have a statistically even worse offense than we do right now, um, they would have been very much in this football game. And as it was, it was pretty close and their defense had a lot to crow about in this game. I mean, they are taking a lot of, a lot of positives out of this game for uh, Ohio state could could not have looked more shaky. I mean, it's it's a quarterback situation. You get this team's quarterback straightened out, they're different. But right now, they don't have it. They held Indiana to 153 yards. They themselves, they almost, they almost outgained Indiana running the ball alone. Ohio State's going to be just fine. They they did this. They they looked weak against Notre Dame at the beginning of last year. I like like we're on the record from our Ohio State preview that we think they're second or third best in the East and they drop off from last year. Maybe they lose as many as three games, but like, let's not kid ourselves that there's any, anything bigger brewing here than that. uh, We, we shall see. We shall see. Yeah. Uh, Penn state beats West Virginia 38 to 15. Um, First of all, I want to point out Scuzz said that game was going to be 35 to 14 and he came really close to hitting that mark. Uh, the, I was just I was just looking at like like the line because the line was twenty and a half right, which is big, really big for a Power Five matchup week one, and and I was like, well, this seems like a plausible way it could play out, and then yeah, it did. Uh, Wisconsin um, beats Buffalo thirty eight to seventeen. Didn't quite see much air raid there, but boy, that running game was was working for the Badgers. I didn't watch this game. Like, yeah, the, they, they ran all over Buffalo, which, like, like whatever. Um, I think, you know, maybe more concerning is that Tanner Mordecai threw two picks and um, did, did not do a very good job of taking downfield. That's the funny thing about this one, right? Because if we didn't know anything about all these talks about scheme change and everything, we'd be like, this is a classic Wisconsin situation. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> like, piled up the rush yards, quarterback didn't look that good, call us when you play someone decent. Like, like it'll be interesting to see, like, what this actually all means relative to their scheme. They also gave up 300 and something yards to Buffalo. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't know what that means. I mean, like, the averages are not great. So, like, I think their defense was pretty stout against an admittedly not good MAC team. But, um, you know, remains to be seen. Iowa beats Utah State 24-14. to Um they threw their what was it the what, what was the stat they finished their first drive with a passing touchdown for the first time since the eighties. This 
I, I like, again, oh, like, we will see when the sample yeah. size goes up. Sorry. F- first passing touchdown on the opening series in Ference's era. We, like, and the first for an Jesus. Iowa team since 1991. We will see. It is true this offense was historically bad last year. And yes, there's a sample size. They friggin' sucked in this game on offense. They sucked against Utah State. They did not move the ball at all. But for the performance of their tight end, they had nothing in this game against a defense that is just super low level. It was everything from last season come home to roost. And lest we forget, Brian Ferentz, who needs to average 25 points a game to keep his job this year, uh, is farther away from that goal now than he was at the start of the season. No, no, he's not. Because last year, they scored a total of seven points in each of their first two games. So he he has outscored. Oh, he's, he's, he's cooking he's with 10 gas. Points, he's 10 <laughs> points and in, a, in an entire game ahead of where he was last year right now. Uh, and I, so this is, this is my point, is like Utah State is a legitimate, you know, group of five team. I don't like... They weren't. Yeah, Mount, they're they're, they're on the, in the definitely in the top half of the Mountain West. They're, yeah, I mean, I mean, like, I, I'm I'm looking up their wins from last year. I just want to like like one, two, three, four, five, six. They were a six and six team last year. They're not great by any stretch of the imagination. Last year against South Dakota State to open the season, Ohio or Iowa won seven to three. That seven was comprised of one field goal and two safeties. Their quarterback yes. threw for 100 yards and a pick. And Cade Nat McNamara throwing two touchdowns in the first game of this year puts him on pace to be better than any <laughs> Iowa quarterback that we have ever seen while we've been alive. I watched this game and they sucked. That's all I'm. I'm sure say. they did. I'm sure they did all. Like, but here's the thing, like John, you know this better than anyone. Like, they don't need to be good on offense to 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 do good things this year, given the state of their defense. Yeah, and they just need to be marginally less sucky than last year. And by all accounts, this was well, quite a bit less sucky well, than last year. Well, it's El a- it's El Asico this week, correct? Is that right? Like, yep, well, so that's right. So we will we will see the. Deg- oh, I believe the over under is thirty five. Well, we will see the degree of ass in El Asico, and I guess that will help <laughs> us figure it out. Uh, Fresno State beats Purdue thirty nine thirty five in West Lafayette. I didn't watch this one, and um, obviously I think the big thing being that Fresno State put up those kinds of points is a really... 366 yards passing, four touchdowns and a pick for uh, Fresno's QB. I think, again, you're putting... It it speaks to kind of what we talked about in the summer, that Purdue, they got a great new brain trust coming in there, and they've got a bunch of transfers, but those were not marquee transfers. There aren't a lot of pieces in place, and you know they're not they're not going to get the support from their offense that they got this year. But again, it's like tight game. I think, Scuzz, I'd be curious. I mean, again, I think you said Fresno was replacing their quarterback, but obviously whoever came in had a, a great game right out of the bat. So kind of a rude, rude awakening for Walters. I mean, Jeff Tedford is their coach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, like, they're they're a good team offensively, and they brought in Mikey Keene. I don't know where he's from. Um, uh, oh, he's he's – He's been around before. Let me see if I can figure out where he's been. Um, do to do. He was at UCF the last two years, so they brought in a pretty decent transfer QB. Um, you know, good good stats in twenty twenty one. Sixty three percent complete with seventeen TDs and six picks. 
like at UCF. Um, so they brought in a good quarterback to replace the one that left. And then, you know, Jeff Tedford's legit. Um, I'm not surprised that they, that they looked so good. I mean, I think we, we were looking at, at how close that line was going into the week and we're like, Oh, yikes, Purdue. Um, I th- like the, the, the thing that, that was good though, like Hudson card had a good game through for more than 250, had an eight yards per attempt, um, two TDs, no picks. Like if Hudson card can be a good quarterback for them, that's a, that's a huge leg up on what looked like a massive rebuild on the offensive side in the post Brom era. Uh, Maryland beats Towson 38 to six. Yawn. Yep. <laughs> yep. Check. And uh, Illinois needs a last second field goal to uh, come back to beat I mean, Toledo. Last, 30 last to second 28. field goal. They needed a fourth and 14 or whatever that conversion was like. They, they were dead and buried. The game was, you know, they, they basically pulled it out. Um, Toledo looked very good in that game. They may be, you know, Toledo may end up being one of the class teams of the MAC, and I think this was a game that a lot of people had circled. Um, honestly, I, you know, I give credit, you know, I, I wish Illinois nothing but the worst, but they credit to them for um, surviving this one. I mean, they they really had to pull it out to do it, but this was a game a lot of people were circling as like the MAC's taking one out, and this is where it's going to be. And Illinois did just enough to get by. Yeah, I think what's most concerning for them is their running game really struggled. I mean, Reggie Love, 58 yards on 12 carries. Um, Luke Altmaier, the QB, you know, rumbled quite 70 yards on nine carries. Um, put him almost almost close to, to 300 yards all-purpose uh, overall. So Altmaier like, looks like a pretty good fit in, in at QB, but that patented Brett Bielema, you know, run game which certainly boosts the defense a la you know the st- discussions we've had about minnesota like that looks like um you know the drop off from chase brown looks looks as expected right now uh just a couple games nationally i, I just want to call attention to I mentioned it off the top but colorado going to tcu winning 45 42 um, yep. that I watched most of that game. That was so much fun. And I haven't had that much fun watching a Colorado game in a really, really long time. Like they Shadur Sanders is 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 no joke. Five hundred and ten I mean, yards and fourteen. I mean, do they have a defense? Maybe, maybe not. Probably not when they get to a lot of the stuff. Do they have a ridiculous offense? Yes, they do. They have a ridiculous quarterback. They have I mean, is there even a question who the best two-way player in the nation is right now? It's not even close. Whoever whoever else is nope. in that conversation. Travis Hunter. Travis Hunter is doing a Charles Woodson impersonation this season, apparently. Um, and he... 11 catches, 119 yards. One of the most incredible interceptions you'll ever see. Uh, playing over 110 snaps. Yep, and game. we should add, both of these guys were monster recruits. And there's the thought that they're thin. And, and look, like, they... They probably are thin, but they're schemed well. The offense they ran was really effective. They are really good at scheming guys open. Sanders is really comfortable and really good at finding his targets. I mean, he was cool as a cucumber. That was nothing but pressure situations down the stretch of that game, and he just delivered. And, yeah, like, they are... That team, at worst, is going to be ludicrously fun to watch this season, and they're probably going to win a bunch <laughs> yeah. of games. It's Dion and lights-out shootout football. 
with really talented players. I mean, I want to. I just want to look at their O line to just compare and contrast a little bit with with. I thought about this earlier. So their center, six foot two, two ninety. Um, he's a sophomore. Right guard, new to the program, uh, six foot three, two eighty. Uh, he's in the the four hundreds of Phil Steele's ratings. Um, left guard, similarly rated, six three, three twenty. So bigger, bigger dude there. Three twenty at right tackle, three fifteen at left tackle. Both those guys, uh, right tackles returning, but like one of like three guys returning. The, the 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 talent on the offensive line. I mean, where like there's been so much about all the players that Dion has brought in from FCS, all the transfers, all the turnover. Offensive line is not a place where they brought in a ton of 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 guys, and the point that you just made, John. Scheme. They schemed guys open. They got the ball Strategy. out. Strategy. Yep. Scheme the ball. Schemed guys open. A lot of formations. Got the ball out quick, and Sanders executed. Like that was that was it. You can operate a college offense without a dominant offensive line. You can even operate a college offense with a not great offensive line. You just have to use your brain. Well, we're Northwestern. We we have brains, right? Sorry, I'm, theoretically, I'm, I'm going to stop now. Well, let, while, while you're heated, let's uh, talk about one other game. Oh, hell uh, yeah. And, <laughs> and that's last night's game. Um, Duke beating Clemson 28-7 to in a game that wasn't even that close. Oh, hell. Dabo would beg to differ. Unlucky. Weird game, says Dabo. Weird. Weird. Weird you got your ass kicked. That's, yeah. The, <laughs> the yeah, no. I mean, but I... I let me just get out of the way here. I, Scuzz, Scuzz, I'll just let Scuzz go to bat here. Weird that um, you haven't had an offense, uh, a functional offense, since um, your longtime coordinator Tony Elliott left. Um, weird that you ran off like a incredible quarterback uh, in DJ Ungalala. I can't even say it. Uyangalele. Uyangalele. Thank you, Sam. Um, because, you know, nobody thought he was any good. And then um, Cade didn't look so good last night. Um, like, like this is if – I, if I was really fired up right now, I would do my best Dennis Green. They are who we thought they are impersonation because this is like – this is exactly who we thought they were. We joked about, about Duke knocking off Clemson. Um, in in our in our preseason previews, and I mean, yes, they you know they had some 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 bad luck in in turnovers and like timing, location, etc. But like they got physically dominated by Duke. Yeah, which again, they got physically dominated by Duke, which they did. And yes, there like yes, there was some bad luck for them. Duke also had a couple of major blunders in this game. And it's like people seem to very quickly want to forget that like Clemson's only scoring drive was 18 yards after a yeah. Duke muffed punt. Like and Duke yep. had, you know, at least one other major turnover in this game also. The the flip side to being able to just enjoy this Clemson loss is Duke looks freaking awesome. We talked about it in the summer and it's all true. They are stacked. 
They're good on the defensive line, especially in the interior. They are loaded with defensive backs, which is only increased by Jeremiah Lewis returning to Duke. He played the entire game, had a couple major hits, recovered a fumble, um, makes them even more stacked on defense. Um, They're loaded with athletes who fly around in the secondary, and they're stout up front on the defensive line. And they have Riley friggin' Leonard, who is look I mean he was awesome had one of the plays of the weekend in this game like played out of his mind and yeah they are they're just an awesome team and we get them in two weeks uh real quick I I, I don't want to spend too much time here uh going through this weekend's games um you've got a couple games on Friday uh, Indiana State at Indiana um Cool. Uh, Illinois at Kansas. Kansas is a three-point favorite. Uh, the over/under is fifty-six and a half. Kind of like Kansas there. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, yeah. it's going to be uh, probably another tight one. Like Illinois, you know, finding themselves in these dogfights. We'll uh, we'll see. Again, they were. You could definitely argue they were lucky to beat Toledo, and they might go down at Kansas. Uh, going to Saturday, um, Youngstown State at Ohio State cool uh delaware at penn state um get out your streaming service that that one's going to be sacrifices of penguins and hens great (laughs) um and then the 11 o'clock game on fox bring it it, baby (laughs) nebraska at colorado hell yes for some reason colorado is only a three-point favorite i guess there's still a what's the over what's the over under in this game you want to guess? Or 59 and a half. It's 59 and a half. That's scants. This, like, Nebraska's, again, you may see Nebraska put up a shockingly high amount of points in this game because their QB can yeah. run, and I don't yeah. think Nebraska, I don't think Colorado has a defense. Well, not not only can, can Jeff Sims run, Jeff Sims is a load. He's a big dude, and um, he brings some physicality that, that um, I mean, this, this has been – this has been my read on Colorado and I've heard some others with this read as well, that like they are a little bit undersized and this like, he, he's going to present a matchup challenge for them. Now it's still going to be a one dimensional offense and that could be very problematic for Nebraska very quickly. Um, I think they lose this game. I think they lose by more than three, but, um, but it'll be interesting. It'll be fun. Uh, Purdue is at Virginia tech. Uh, Vatek is a three-point favorite at home. Yeah, Vatek has been way down recently, and so it's going to be a good barometer, though. Yeah, you're still going into Enter Sandman and all that for Purdue. So, um, yeah, again, it's like Purdue easily could get into an 0-2 hole here really quickly, or they could, you know, grit one out. Big Ten West Uh, football, y'all. Oh, yeah. You've got uh, UNLV at Michigan. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Michigan, a thirty-six point favorite at home. Yeah. Um, who, who's there, who's coaching? I think I think week? I think Mike Hart is one of the two coaches this week, which is great. Very cool. Very cool. Um, El Asico, Iowa at Iowa State. Uh, Iowa, a four-point favorite on the road. Uh, over under thirty-six and a half. Is Iowa State supposed to be good this year? I don't because they're I don't think so. Like they don't have Purdy anymore. It's all. Uh... And and they don't have at least one starting lineman, and they don't have Jarrell Brock um, because of the Rocco Becht is their QB. Yeah, so I don't know. Like they're 
I again, I would expect that Iowa's defense, as we would all expect, is going to handle them. I don't know what Iowa State has on D, but I I am expecting yeah. ass in this one is for sure. It's, it's such a hard game to project too because it's always so weird. But yeah, ass is on the menu. I think. Um, Richmond at Michigan State. Okay, cool. Um, Wisconsin at Washington State. This is an interesting one. Washington State smoked Colorado State on the road. And um, is, I, I like, they had, you know, they had the big kerfuffle around their coach last year getting let go because he refused to get vaccinated. And um, I, I don't know. They, they, they look like they've got some, uh, some pop. This is going to be a very interesting test for Wisconsin. I mean, they're rightly favored and they, and they, you would kind of expect them to win, but it's a, it's going to be a very interesting test for them early on here on the road. Weird things happen on the Palouse. Indeed. Yeah. Not, not a lot of PAC 12 football in the future in the Palouse. I'm going to tell you that much though. Um, but you mean, you mean the yeah, two pack two, two, two back. Yeah. <laughs> Oh God! I, even, I forgot about yeah, that. But oh yeah, o- only two teams left in the yeah. Pac-12. But yeah, I mean, I guess we'll we'll get a chance to see against a true air raid team if Wisconsin's truly committed to these uh, air raid principles they've got going. Yeah, maybe 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 it's just the Washington State revenge tour this year, guys. <laughs> maybe could be could be. Uh, NBC, I'm sure, is loving this one. Um, what a weird <laughs> what a what a weird game to be on NBC. Charlotte at Maryland. Yeah, what? Yeah, what a strange um, game. What a pull for Charlotte. Um, great googly moogly. Yeah, um, yeah. you're gonna get ready for some serious Talia Tagovailoa uh, like packages at the start of that one because that's NBC's gonna be pulling out all the stops. Uh, Maryland is a 24 and a half point favorite there. Uh, Eastern Michigan at Minnesota. Again, this is the kind of. Minnesota, a 20 and a half. So that's a favorite. huge line, right? And that's, we're going to find out really quickly what the situation with this Minnesota line is. Like if, if they can run on Eastern Michigan, like we'll know, but if they can't, then we're suddenly going to be like, oh man, this team really is in trouble because they did not look good against Nebraska. And Eastern Michigan uh, played Howard week one and uh, won 33-23. Um, and then finally, Temple at Rutgers. Uh, Rutgers a nine-point favorite. Over-under is 44. Ew. I mean, Rutgers, I mean, beat them 50 to 10 and make us reevaluate everything. I in no way think that's <laughs> going to happen, but we can all dream. Just scanning through, I'm not seeing a ton of real compelling matchups outside. I mean... Ole Miss Tulane is that yeah. one's a big one for Tulane. I mean, like, yeah, well, I think it's at Tulane they, too. It's at Tulane. Yeah, they're feeling definitely well, and of course, like everyone and their mothers traveling to that game. Every Ole Miss fan's going to be at that game too. It's going to be a loaded, raucous environment, which is a awesome that they'll have the Superdome full for that one. But yeah, I mean, like Tulane just beat USC. Like that just happened, and they're like they are probably feeling disrespected at 24 and being like, this is our chance, you know? So go, go get them Tulane. Uh, interesting that this one's on ESPN and not ABC. I mean, ABC is the Wazoo Wisconsin game where ESPN has Texas at Alabama. That one is <clears throat> SEC, SEC matchup. Yep. Um, it's, it's interesting too, because I really think Texas has the better quarterback in this game. Um, 
by like a good amount. And I don't know if that's going to be enough. Like I, I like I, we're going to find out, like we need to know if Alabama's worth this number three ranking. They totally might be, they totally are Alabama and it might be totally deserved, but I think we're going to find out right here. I mean, uh, odds are Texas, Texas is, and then, you know, this is all just academic, but you never know. Um, aside from that, anything else jumping out at you guys? I kind of scanned through. Um, S, S, so just some interesting regional ones. SMU, Oklahoma, North Carolina, Appalachian State. Um, uh, a weird A&M versus Miami. Um, and then uh, Notre Dame at NC State. Those are those are kind of the other, like, largest matchups. Oh, there's one other one. Uh, Oregon, at Tex- Oregon at Texas Tech is kind of an interesting one. Oklahoma State at Arizona State could be interesting. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Duke's got a big trap game with Lafayette ahead of uh, their game against <laughs> Northwestern. Trappy, trappy, trap, trap. <laughs> and you know what's funny? At first I was like, oh, wow, they're playing Louisiana Lafayette. And I was like, oh, no, that's just Lafayette. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, pa- very, they're, very different. They're playing a Patriot League school. Okay. Any Anything else to mention? I, I know we're running a little bit long, but there, there was definitely um, a lot to talk about off the top. So uh, thanks for coming on the journey with us um anything else to to mention before we get out of here i i did want to just give like the the briefest of of hat you know cap tips to um to david booty well no not pirates booty i just want to tip my cap to david braun um because in his post-game press conference i thought he um presented a a a pretty appropriate tone one uh you know there was there was unsurprisingly right it was very different from the pat fitzgerald post september loss experience um well i guess it was was it september oh yeah it was september yeah it's september Um, yeah but he was you know he was he was somewhat humble he was um you know it wasn't like he was up there you know pulling the curtain down on everything but he admitted like the moment was pretty big and it well it felt get great to get back to football like he needs to continue to be better to kind of balance his duties and make sure he's there for the whole team um this is a pretty common theme with with head coaches that are that are calling plays on one side of the ball or, or the other um i really liked what he said about the offense there was no like there was no like um oh yeah you know the, i don't even know how to how to categorize it like, but, but he basically just said like i expect those guys are gonna you know dig in and figure it out and come back with a new play. There was no like, Oh, we're, you know, it wasn't that bad. There, there, he, he didn't pull any punches. Um, he didn't, you know, he didn't play the, you know, don't ask me questions card. He didn't, you know, make any comments like stats are for losers. He um, didn't throw anyone under, under the bus either. No. And, and he, and he admitted to wishing he had some calls back. Like I just, I thought it was a appropriate tone. Um, and I thought it was it offered like at least like an an honest assessment of North where Northwestern was and how good it felt to get out there and like have a measuring stick and then to be like we did not live up to where we need to be and there was no like fluff and puff about it it just it was very straight shoot shooting and honest and I just I thought that was refreshing and great. You mean it, it wasn't a weird game? <laughs> Yeah. I I all I would all I would add is again just you all have I mean for 
to have that to have the last two years carry into this summer, carry into the way this season has started. Uh, like you all, like come find us and have a beer with us, and let's just get through this one. To, you know, get we'll, we'll we'll pull through this together. Again, this is a game that it's totally a winnable game for Northwestern. Come out, find us in uh, in the north end, hopefully of the east lot. Um, we'll give you a beer, and then we can uh, we can all soldier through this together. Uh, so with that, we'll go ahead and wrap it up for tonight. Head to our website, westlawpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Pirates, and email the show, westlawpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. Look for us in the west lot of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag, because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. John Lacombe and Eric Scousby, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.